Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. We are joined today by Rabbi Benjamin Przansky, best-selling author of the Stories for the Jewish Heart series published by Art Scroll Masora. Thank you, Rabbi Przansky, for being here. Thank you, Rabbi Hissiger, for having me here. What a pleasure to be here today. It's an honor. So we're here, first and foremost, to talk about a brand new book, Chizik for Your Heart. But as we always like to do for our viewers, we'd love to get an inside view on how you got into the storytelling business. So give us a little background on your initial foray into writing books. Okay. Well, you know, I, I don't have the typical story. I like to, to write as I was growing up. I always loved writing. That's not how it really evolved. And really what, what happened was at a certain point in my life, and maybe we'll get into that, but uh, I decided I want to do something for Klal Yisrael. I want to do something to inspire people. And Hashkoch HaPratis would have it that I was led along this course to try to give over some stories, try to give over chizik, and I found as a, as a learning Rebbe in camp over the summers, I found that the greatest way to get the boys' attention was to tell them a great story. And so I was collecting stories as the years were going on, saying them, but where are my own stories? But I'd, I'd, I'd pick up stories here and there, and I saw that I had a little knack for it, and when it came time to try to inspire people and give chizik, I said, let's try to go ahead and write a book and write the stories up and see if we could take this a little further in life. Let's see what we can do to, to lift up people on a broader scale. Now, you're talking about telling stories, but telling stories and writing stories are really two very different things. So how did that evolve from telling stories, whether as a learning Rebbe and speaking publicly, to actually putting them into writing? So at, w at one point in my life, I, uh, I wanted to do, give chizik over. So I was actually tr first trying to write a little musr. I was going to write a musr sefer, and I was going to put it out, and hopefully that would be inspiring. Now, I didn't realize that people don't get so inspired necessarily by musr, you know. So when I, when I put together the lesson, Someone told me, you know, no one wants to read your Musr. Put a story in. So I put a story in. Eventually, I dropped the Musr. I said, you know what? Let's go with stories. Because everyone loves a good story. Everyone gets into a story. You can tell it over to your children. And I, I started to write these stories. And little by little, I developed this uh, passion for writing the stories and giving over the stories. And slowly but surely, that's what evolved into you know, the, the writing, the book writing that I've been doing. Now, stories generally reflect a certain hashkafa, musr, a powerful message, and I imagine that that mode of musr and hashkafa and, and lessons are things that were imbued in you by your rabbeim and those who influenced you. Tell us a little about who those people were as you were growing up. Okay, so I, I think with this story really begins was a summer in camp. You know, summer in camp, camp's great. I was in Camp Manovu. I was in there for many, for many summers I spent over there. And I was 19 years old, and there was a big tzaddik over there. His name was Rav David Kviat. He was a Rosh Yeshiva in the Mir Yeshiva. He wrote many, many svarim called Sukkot David, which was a widespread sefer used by many yeshivas. And I'm actually a cousin of Rav David Kviat. I was a cousin of his. My, my grandmother was a Kviat. Now he was the Rav of Manovu, He was the correct? Rav of Manovu. So... As any other like camp or staff member, I didn't have so much shaykhis to him. But one day that all changed. At the end of the summer, I was thinking, what am I doing next year? What am I going to be doing? And um, I had to think about it, where my life was headed. 
and I wasn't sure at the time, and I decided perhaps I should go learn in Eretz Yisrael. I went over to Rav David, and I asked him, and this was probably one of the greatest moments in my life. I went over to him. It was Shal Shudah's time in camp. He was sitting at the table alone, and I sat over, and I never really you know, talked to him, but now I sat down. I said, Rashiva, can I ask you a question? He took me by the hand. He started rubbing my hand, and he said, ah, yes, how can I help you? And I said, I'm thinking about going to Eretz Yisrael. I'm thinking about going to Eretz Yisrael, but I'm, I'm not sure, you know, if I should go. It's, it's, I'm going to go to Yeshiva and learn, and, and learning all day. I don't know if it's for me. You know, I wasn't holding there yet. And he said, you should go. Of course you should go. And you're going to learn Torah. You're going to see. And he said something incredible. He said, Torah is like a closed flower. And the more you learn, the more the flower opens. And it, it took me. It took me. And thus developed a very close relationship with Rav David. I went there to Israel. I steigged away. But every summer I was close with him. I spoke to him. I learned from him. And I grew in my, in my own inspiration. And once I was on that course, I, I really had a Rebbe in my life that, that really talked to me. And he had a, a certain a very sweet way of conveying things. And I think that was something that was just a a watershed moment in my life that led me on on, on a certain path. Is there any particular story about Reb David that you recall that stands out, or a story about Reb David that you've written in one of your books? Yeah, there's a cute story. It wasn't a story person. He was just learning Torah. Right. And um, so the Tremendous Talmud Chacham. Tremendous Talmud Chacham. So stories wasn't his thing. It was more I was getting, I felt he was much older than me. I didn't bring a picture with me, but I, I used to walk him in camp and ask him questions and there was just a lot of inspiration that I got from him. But I'll tell you one cute story that, that I recall. Um, I used to walk him after Mincha in camp towards his bungalow. And he'd go on to the dining room after that. He'd go and he, he'd greet his wife. And they'd go together to lunch in the dining room. So one day I'm walking him. And he was wearing a, a, a long kapata, a long jacket. And, as, and he'd always change that long jacket that for, for a lighter chalat, I believe it's called. And a, light, a lighter jacket. And uh, he'd go towards the bungalow, I was walking with him, and, his, and, and when he got closer to the bungalow, his Rebbitzin got up and says, Oh, Rev David, we're going to, to lunch, let me get your jacket. And he said, No, 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 I'll get the jacket. And they both were having this little friendly argument, I'll go, I'll go. And then she would go and brought it. And then the next day the same thing happened. I was walking with him, and the same thing occurred again. And she said, Oh, I'll go, I'll get your jacket. And he said, No, I'll get it. The third day, when I was witnessing this, I said, one second, Rosh Hashiva, I have to ask you a question. You keep on going through the same charade. You're going to go, she's going to go. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, you think marriage is 50-50? No, that's not the case. Marriage is 100%, 100%. I have to give my 100%. My Rebetzin gives 100%. And that was a, a, a beautiful lesson into the insight, into the, the marriage and shown bias that really made an impression on me. Incredible. Now, in addition to Reb David Kriyat, I know that after you got married, you were very close to Reb Gabriel Finkel of right. Lakewood. Sure. How did that relationship start? And tell me about the impact of Reb Gabriel. I remember after his Petira, you wrote a beautiful tribute that's to him right, as well. That's right. You know, everyone needs a Rebbe in their life. And, and after Reb David Kriyat passed away, I was, I was lost, a little lost. And I think it's so important that everyone has that Rebbe to inspire them. And um, I used to learn in the alumni-based medrash, and I saw this, this yid, he was very unassuming, he wore a short jacket, he didn't look like this, you know, he didn't wear a kapata, he didn't wear the big hat of a Rosh Hashiva, 
But he was a very, everyone used to come over to him and ask him questions. I see there's someone, something very wise about this Yid. And I got to know him. I, I learned that he was a big Paisik. And, and I started to ask him questions. And then from the questions, it evolved into a relationship. So much so that after every second Seder, when I would learn over there, we'd wa- I'd walk him to his car. I'd ask him questions about life. And he was a Talmud of Aaron Cutler. And he would tell me stories about Rav Aaron and Rav Eliasvei, his Rebbeim. And he'd tell me a Torah true hashkafa. And I felt I was getting MS and I, I wanted to cling to that MS. And I used to go for years and years. I'd go to him, I'd speak to him, whatever was on my mind. I'd, I'd share stories with him. And, and thus developed a very close relationship. I didn't even realize how close it was until, until he tragically suddenly passed away. But it was a tremendous impact and it changed my life as well. And that's what having a Rebbe is, is just clinging to someone who could help guide you. But that's inspiring. That relationship was totally initiated by you. Um, you know, in, in a Selecha Rav fashion, where many people might be intimidated to go over to a respected Rav and a Paisik like Rav Gavriel was. Um, but that's really remarkable how that relationship evolved, really thanks to your determination. Yeah, I think, I think you know, And it sounds like your relationship with Rav David was also like that. So it was I think like that's that. a lesson for myself and for everyone, that in order to have that connection to great people, sometimes we have to be the ones to take that first step. I think we always have to be the ones because Rabbanim are very packed. Uh, special people have so many people coming to them. And if you're going to wait for them to come over to you and make that relationship, you might not get the relationship you need. But if you seek their advice, they're always there. The Rabbanim are there to help. If you seek their advice and you speak to them and you, 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 you try to connect, I think that could take a person a long way. It could take them a lifetime, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's such a worthy investment. Absolutely. Very important lesson. Now, getting back to writing stories. So you're a, a married younger man, you're putting together stories, you're inspired to do something with those stories. For someone like you, what was your next step? So um, I started writing a, a rough draft, you know, and I, um, I first, my first writing was, as I mentioned, a Musser uh, idea, and I, I even sent it in. And uh, I sent it to Art Scroll, and they said, no one wants to read uh, Musser. They want to, you know, they want to sit back and kick back with the story. I started writing the stories, and it really, it came, the skills came more as I put my heart to it, and I put my, 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 my goals into trying to inspire, and it was a trial and error, like anyone else. So you, you need someone, you know, a good editor behind you that could help guide you, and that's how, that's how we began. So you submitted your first manuscript, you were told no, but you persisted, you revised it. I revised it a couple and then, times. And then you had it edited and then you submitted it? And, or just... and then I had it edited and I, I started to realize what people wanted. I, try, okay. I started to realize you know, what, what needs to be done and how to present a story. And it really started with my telling stories, but that led to the way I write stories. And one of the most uh, important things, I, I, I think, for a writer, someone trying to write, you have to put yourself into the story and see it, and then you start writing. But if you're just going to write, it's going to fall flat. Put yourself into it and feel it, and then let your heart write the script. And that's really the way to do it. You speak to writers, many of them will tell you that they love writing, but sometimes it's an exhausting process because, like you just alluded to, you're, you're living it as you're writing it, and that ultimately is the most, most powerful form of writing. So you submit it to Artscroll. Artscroll says, we like this manuscript. We'd like to print it. Now comes to the name of the book. Were you the one who chose the heart 
as the kind of focal point of your first book, not even knowing yet that it's going to be a series? Yeah, no, I, I didn't pick the heart. Someone on Scroll uh, okay. read it. The editor, I believe, read it and, and felt there was something about the heart, tugging the heart and, and touching the heart, and therefore, uh, thus, the name was born, the, the heart series. And you haven't let go of that heart, because if, I, if my math is correct, I think 10 out of your 12 books or something like that, other than your last book, inspired and other than your Haggadah, all your books are related to the heart. They all have the heart. Could we, get, right. uh, could we get some uh, organs, some other organs, some <laughs> attention? Or is it, uh, is it just all about the heart? It's the heart, but it's not the actual organ of the heart. It's, it's the heart that needs to be inspired. That's what we say every day. We don't get bored of saying Shema every day. Love Hashem with all your heart. And heart means we put everything into it. And I try to write stories and convey stories of people who put everything into it, into their avodah Hashem, into their amunah, and thus it, it reflects, it's a great reflection of that heart. Now, having written, how much is it, 12, 13 books, growing up, was there a writer who you admired, a, a writer who you emulated in incorporating a certain style into your books? I can't say there was a particular writer. I mean, I grew up, uh, I, I used to read Repesa Krohn's. Who didn't read Repesa Krohn, the Magid? There's something so beautiful about the, the early Magid books was Rosham Shadron. And it sort of took you back to a different time zone. We, we saw the Russian, KGB, and Sasha, and all these different characters. And, and we, were, we were brought into a different world for an American kid growing up to start hearing about all these European stories and all these special stories from a, a time long gone. It was very inspirational, that's for sure. Now, your first book, I think, was published in 2006. So it's about 15 years or so since then. You've published hundreds, perhaps thousands of stories. Is it getting harder to get stories at this point? It's not getting harder. You know, things just change in the world. Um, the different types of stories. You know, people used to have patience for long stories. Now right. we try to keep them shorter, Absolutely. short and sweet, and pack a punch. And whereas in the Earlier days, I'd write, try to write, even I'd have older stories and war stories and, and stories that maybe brought you to tears. I no longer want to bring a person to tears. I want to make a person laugh and be mechuzik and be encouraged by the stories that I, I present. So the stories are, are, are evolving and there's always stories. I like to say there's always stories going on. If you open your eyes, you will see stories happening every day. And that's really how I... I go about uh, life. I try to see, hey, this is something interesting. This is something inspiring. Maybe just like it's inspired me, it can inspire others. So yes, there are still many, many stories out there. Every day there are stories happening to every one of us, although you might not write in a book. But sure. no, you know, I tell my kids we, at the Shabbos table, we go ahead and we, uh, we go around the table and we say, Hashkocha Pratis time. Friday night, it's Hashkocha Pratis time. I go around the table and say, what happened to you this week? And it got them to think, and I think it's such a great practice, all the children are involved and they try to think, what happened to me today or this week? And, and it gives them a taste to see the Hashkocha in their life. Absolutely. I'll tell you from a personal standpoint, there's someone always looking for stories. What I found is that there is no shortage of stories but a lot of them have kind of repetitive plots, you know, very, very similar type of scenarios. And to find the story with the Chiddush, with somewhat of an anomaly of a plot or a scenario, that's a little harder to find. And I imagine as a writer, you're always looking for that diamond in the rough, that right. story that's just so out of this world and so extraordinarily uplifting. 
Right. Now, that, and that leads to my next question, how do you get your stories? Where do you find them? I understand that, like you said, day-to-day -day activities and our day-to-day -day life present situations that are really inspiring and we just have to be able to have the proper glasses to see the beauty and to see the inspiration. But still, how do you solicit those stories to fill a book and not one book, but Kanaihara now 13 of them? So a, bo a book is a process and it's, it, it grows as time goes on. And there's a story here, it's a story there. I'm always looking for a story. So by now, a lot of people come over to me and tell me, oh, I have a great story. I'll speak to a rub and I'll share a story with me. I'm always listening to different shiurim. So I'm, I'm always listening to hear that story with that surprise, with that interesting plot. And that just makes your heart, oh, it just warms you, it inspires you. So I'm always looking for the story. And by looking for, for shiurim, different shiurim, or by hearing, listening to different people speak, and a lot of the stories, I just, as I said, I, it happens. It just happens. Because I'm in the business, Hashem sends in my way. So a lot of the stories are evolving. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, I always tell my wife, I don't, want to be, I don't want to be in the story. I want to write the stories. But the truth is, a lot of the most impactful stories are ones that I was a part of or, or I was able to see and I was lucky enough to experience it. Now in your new book, Chizik for Your Heart, is there a specific topic or overall theme that you chose to follow, number one. And number two, is there a particular story in this brand new book that really stands out to you? So that's a great question. Um, the, the book, um, the, the idea of the book is chizik. We, we're trying to be mechazik people. The bulk of the book was written during the, the, the heart of the coronavirus. And it was a time that, you know, I was writing and then I stopped for a while because it was hard to write. I felt it was hard to write and inspire in such a distressful time. It was, it was a difficult time. And then someone told me, no, you have to. Now's the time that people need inspiration. And so I continued to write and I continued to speak. And my focus on this book is strengthening ourselves in our Amunah and Hashem strengthening ourselves in our voidness Hashem, being happy in life no matter what's going on. We know we're living in a world, you don't know what's going on, what's going to come next. And it's so important that we reinforce ourselves and we strengthen our amun and the Rabbani Shalom, our betochen and Hashem, and, and uplift ourselves no matter what's going on in life. You want to be able to stand up each day, be happy, and, and, and have that energy that nothing's going to go wrong today because I know Hashem's with me. And that's what I try to convey in, in this book. As far as a particular story, it's hard for me to pick one story out of a book. I'll, I'll give you an example. It's not the story because I think every story has its, its godless. Okay? Um, the first story is an incredible story. I'm not going to share that with you. I want someone to read it and they'll get that story. But I'll tell you, the second story of the book is a story I heard from Rav Eitan Feiner. I was speaking to Rav Eitan Feiner. He shared the, the rub of the white shul and he shared with me an incredible story. He said there was a Talmud Chacham who came to his office to speak to him. And he told him of a story that happened with him. He said that he had a, a daughter that was born a midget. And, you know, growing up in school, it was difficult uh, for her to go through school. And uh, she had her challenges in life, you know, I'm sure she did. And yet she was very upbeat and very positive. And one day when she's an older girl already, she's already in her 20s, she comes down the steps, her father's head is on the on the on the table and she's crying, he's crying. So she goes and she says, Ta, why are you crying? You're always so happy. What's going on? And he says, listen, you know, all your friends, they're going into Shaduchim now. They're starting life out. And I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking, what's going to be with Shaduchim? And I, I, got, I got a little depressed about it. I don't know what. 
How are we going to find you a shidduch? And she says, Tati, I want to tell you something. And she said something incredible. She says, Ta, we know that Nachshan ben, ben Aminadav was the first one to jump, jump into the Yam. He was the first one to jump in, and then everyone went in after him. And we know that he went into the water until the water reached his nose. And that's when it split. Until it didn't split, he had to jump in and go all the way in, and then it split when it reached his nose. I want you to know something, Tati. If I was there, I'd jump in too after him. And even though the water would be way over my head by the time it reached his nose, I still would have jumped in. Because that's how much Amun I have in Hashem that will take care of me no matter what's going on. And his father was, the father was blown away. And he said, you know, with that Amun and that Betachin, you're right. I have nothing to worry about. Wow. And a few months later, she became a cow. It's that ability. It's that ability to jump into the yam. And even though things are going on, it's turbulent. You don't know what's going to happen. But you know Hashem is going to split it for you. You know Hashem is going to take care of you. What a powerful message from this young girl. I think it's a message that talks to us. We will have times in life when we feel that the water is going over. It's up to our nose. But don't despair. Realize Hashem is going to split the yam for you, just like He did for Kalal Yisrael back then. He's going to do it for each and every year, no matter what they're going through, no matter what's going on in their life, no matter how turbulent life may be, Hashem could split it in an instant. Incredible message of Amun HaVetachan, especially as you mentioned, in this particular time when people are challenged from so many different directions. So that's an invaluable story for us to keep in mind. Now, in regards to your other books, I know you'll have to maybe dig into your memory bank, but uh, is there another story or two from your previous volumes that either was particular, were particular poignant to you or that other people told you, you know, that story really changed the way I look at things? The two stories that come on, two very different type of stories. I'll, t- I'll tell you the first one. We'll see if we get to the second one. But the first one is about Rav Yankel Galinsky. Rav Yankel Galinsky was the famed Magid in Eretz Yisrael. And when he was a Bacher, he was learning in a yeshiva in Bialystok. And what I love about the story is, it takes us to a different time, but if you, you live the story, you feel, you feel the power of the message. So Rav Yanko was a young bacher learning in Bialystok, and he comes to his Rebbe one day and he says, Rebbe, it's just not going. I'm not feeling inspired. What do I do? So the Rebbe told him, why don't you go to Navardic? And I want you to seek out the best bacher over there. And seek out this bacher. Tell him to give you some musr. And he says, okay. I'll go there. And he travels to Navardic and he goes into the base manager and says, who's the best bacher? And they point to a certain boy and he goes over to him and says, can you give me some musr? And the boy says, listen, if you want me to give you musr, you have to first learn some musr. Go to the base manager a few blocks away. Learn a from for a half hour. Come back to me, I'll give you the musr. Then it will go in. He says, okay. And he goes to that base medrash. And when he comes into this dark base medrash, he suddenly hears a haunting tune, a melody. So he's, he's like, what's going on? What I love about the story is the niggin, it brings you into the time. Listen to the, to the niggin. And as he's walking closer to the woman's section, the base measure is deserted. There's only He hears the voice coming from the women's section. He comes and he, he looks inside and he sees his ayid and he's learning by the candlelight, and he keeps on saying that niggin, oh, yo, 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 yo. And he says over the following words, 
And what the words mean is, you have to grab and eat, you have to grab and drink, because the world that you are going to leave is like a wedding hall. You have to grab and grab and grab and grab. And the message to him was powerful. That a person's in this world for a short time. It's like a wedding. You have to hop around, you have to grab as many Torah and mitzvahs as you can. Because the wedding's going to end eventually. And you're going to go back home. You don't want to come back home empty-handed. You don't want to come to Eilam Abba without the Torah and mitzvahs. Rav Yanko was so inspired by that melody. He just went back home to be honest. Like he said, I don't need any more Musr. I got my Musr. And later, later in life, many years later, at the Levi of the Stipler Goyen, he tell over the story, it was the sti- none other than the Stipler Goyen, who was that young man in the back of the base Medrash. And when I say over the story, and he sing that niggin, so many people have told me over the years, the niggin just stays in me. Oh, yo, 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 yo. You feel it. You feel the chatoif. You have to become a chatoif yid. And it's very inspiring. It's an old time story, but it hits me right in the heart. Amazing. And Rabbi Yankel had that kayach to impart that feeling with his stories and his mashalim, and he just unparalleled in his power. And I know you've quoted Rebianko Golinsky quite a bit in, in, in your book, in your various books, and for good reason. So now you tempted me. I have to ask you what that other story, one of your favorites okay. are. Okay. So, <laughs> so the other story is a personal story that I was involved in, and that's why I love it so much. And it really it touched my life. And, it, and whenever I say it over, it, touches, it just touches a chord. I'll share it with you as follows. I went on a Uru Shabbaton. Now, Uru used to make a Shabbos in a hotel, and they'd get families, bring families together, non-from families, or families that were not yet fully observant, and they'd pair them with a more Torah family. So we came to a hotel somewhere in New Jersey, probably not too far from here, and I was paired with a family, we call them the Chazan, Chazan family, I believe. And I'm at the table at the Chazan family, and they were Israeli, a, a Israeli uh, family, American-Israeli family, and I was sitting at that table, and I was trying to make conversation. There were Sephardi Israelis. Now, I, coming from Lakewood, did not have so much you know, to do with a, a Sephardi Israeli family. I just didn't. I'm a, I live in Lakewood. It's a yeshiva town. And I just didn't know how to make conversation. So we saw some Baba, you know, I saw some of the Sephardi foods, Baba Ganesh. Oh, how's the Baba Ganesh going over there? It's great. It's delicious. But I wasn't making that connection. And then I saw at the table... In this family, there was a daughter, and the father tells me, oh, that's my daughter, Tamar, we'll call her. And uh, Tamar needs a shidduch. She's 25 years old. She's looking for a good boy, but it's not happening. And I looked over at Tamar, I started to talk to her, and that was a connection. I said, maybe I can make a shidduch, you know, who knows? Now, I don't even know why I said that, because now, who, who do I know for this girl? And I'm talking to her, she's telling me, that she's really struggling with her Yiddishkeit, but if she found someone that wanted to grow, she's ready to grow. Now, she was not a religious girl. She had gone to a, a day school. And she was not religious, but she had a certain amount of amun. I saw it in her, in the way she spoke. She loved to keep Shabbat and everything, but she needed someone to help her. She needed to find that Shadduch. And as I'm talking to the father, I said, you know, you have the same problem that we have. It's hard to find a good guy, you know? So um, we're schmoozing. I said, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to think about it. Maybe I'll come up with someone. My wife told me, why do you say that? You got their <laughs> hopes up, you know. Shabbos went on. And after Shabbos, I had this on my mind. What can I do for this girl? So I'm coming back to Lakewood. And I tell my wife, you know, I have an idea. I have a shidduch idea. 
And she says, okay. Yeah, for that girl. He says, who do you know that's an Israeli, Svarty Israeli for this girl? I said, I don't know anyone, but there happens to be two fellows working in Kosher West, a grocery that you and I sometimes... Near, <laughs> in our neighborhood. Yeah, in our neighborhood that we sometimes go to. And there's two workers over there, two Israeli guys. I said, you know, I'm sure she's for one of them. So my wife says... You're, this is crazy. Don't, don't do it. You're going to make a fool out of yourself. Don't do this. I said, no, I'm telling you this is a good idea. And I don't know what made me do this. Now, I befriended some of these guys because I go and I shop there and I talk to them and they were recent Bali Tshuva, you know, so, so I wanted to give them some chizik. So I said, you know what? Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going. I dropped my kids off and I went right, right from the shops. I went right to the grocery store. But I only had one problem now. Which one? <laughs> Which one should I choose? There was a tall one and there was a short one. And I didn't really know the difference between the two of them. I was like, any, any, my, I didn't know which one. And I said to myself, you know, as I walked in, let me see who's there. First of all, the, the shorter guy was there. And it, it dawned on me that he's probably the right guy because this girl was a little short. I said, oh, they look a little similar. He looks a little like the father. I'm going to go over to him. I go over to him and I say, Yossi, hey, how you doing? I have a shidduch idea for you. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy. He's like... <laughs> Uh, I said, I was on a Shabbos, and I met this girl, I think it's perfect for you. He's like, is she more like you or more like me? I said, no, no, she's more like you. I'm telling you, it's a good idea. Why don't you, you know, what do you think? And I started to tell him a little about her. Now, there's no drishas, no hakiris. He says, okay, I'll try it out. I go up the girl. Also, no resumes, you know, no red tape. And she says, okay, I trust you, Rabbi. We'll give it a shot. And they went out. And they went out again. I knew it was going well when he told me one day, that I'm going to them for Shabbos. Wow. The months roll on, and finally he comes to me one day, and he says, I get a mazel tov. We're engaged. We're getting engaged. Can you speak at the, can you speak at the l'chaim? I said, sure. And he had told me how much Shabbat meant to him. And she told me about Shabbat. So when I spoke, I said, Shabbat and Shabbat, it brought us all together. And it created a new mishpacha in Kalal Yisrael. The story doesn't end there. A number of years later, Yossi already works somewhere else. But I'm walking into Kosher West, into the aisle. You know, I'm doing my shopping Friday. I got my, you know, I'm trying to get my car. I'm walking down the aisle, and I get a little bump. And there's a lady with two kids, two yeshiva kids in her, in her car. And she bumps into me by accident. She says, excuse me. And then she looks up, and she says, Rabbi Przansky? I say, is that you, Tamar? And she says, yeah. And she has these two children in the car. One's Idan, and the, the other boy, Avi. The yeshiva boys, they're wearing tzitzis. She's dressed sneers. She's wearing a shaitel. She's showing her Shabbos. And I'm, she says, oh yeah, my boys are in yeshiva now. Their lives turned over. And they show her Shabbos. And the kids go to yeshiva. And they have a whole different history, trajectory in life. It's all different. Because I reached out. And I think to myself, you know, if I wouldn't have reached out by that Shabbos, that cart would have never bumped into me. Those children representing a new family of mishpacha because someone dared to care. And that's really every story in life. When we have the courage to reach out and care, tremendous things can happen. Tremendous inspiration and it can last in eternity. It's an amazing story because it happened to you. We're hearing it firsthand. But I think the lesson of reaching out is twofold. You reached out initially to the girl and then you had the guts, let's be honest. You had the guts to go over to I the did? fellow in the supermarket. That's right. And, and was that your first shidduch, by the way? Uh, I made a couple of interesting shidduchim. But, okay. uh, but he, definitely probably your most memorable one. 
Yeah, that was definitely my most memorable one. And it's a chizik also in a time when many people need shaduchim. That's right. To be proactive and to sometimes not let our logic dictate. Because when you overthink it, you start thinking to yourself, eh, it's not for me, I'll leave it to other people. You're inspired for a moment, and you say, yeah, and then you forget about it for two days, and you just say, forget it, it's not for me. And I have a a number of... What a tremendous chus. I I, I, I should have said like that in the last book also. Different type of story, but there's so many things happening that if we open our eyes and we reach out, we could just, we could do so much, we could change the world. That's really, really an incredible lesson. And I see, obviously, that you don't only write good stories, you're living the good stories as well and teaching us all lessons and how to care for other people and really have a heart. Growing up, was there a particular book or safer or something that inspired you now that you're an accomplished author? Any book that stood out to you? I can't say growing up, like there was that, that book and that changed my life. That's varim different things that I've been inspired by. Uh, uh, if you leave, l- learn of Zilberstein Svarim, or you learn of uh, Biederman's Torah, there's so much pumping uh, Torah and, and, and so much chizik to, 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 to take out of it. But I can't point to that book that said, hey, that's the book that made me who I am. Because that's not how life is. Life is not, oh, I read this book and it, you know, take the lessons, read, look for inspiration. Rav Akiva, we know, was inspired by a rock. Now, if I told you you passed by a rock and there was water dripping, would you be inspired by that? No, you wouldn't be inspired by that. But if you're looking for inspiration, then you're going to find it. Hashem is going to send it to you. And so the inspirations come from everywhere. It's in your life. It's around you. You don't have to look far to be inspired. If you see Hashem in your life, if you see Hashem in your everyday life, you will be inspired and you have, you'll have stories to tell, as I mentioned before. You'll have stories wherever you go. Wherever I go, I, I find these stories. But there's no specific book. You write that book. Everyone has to write that book. It's 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 in your heart. And I think that's the most important, uh, that's the most important feat for us, is to try and realize it's in us. Now you mentioned Ramaylech Biederman. I'm just, I'll digress for a second. Ramaylech has created what I would call a revolution in inspiration. It's really unprecedented. He's put out Torah and inspiration that seems to resonate with the masses, almost unlike, I mean, we're, we're similar in age. I don't remember anything like it uh, in, in Lashon Kodesh, and now it's translated just from your vantage point. What do you think Reb Meilich has tapped into that he's been able to reach hearts across the world? So Reb Meilich has changed many lives with his positivity. And Amuna. And I don't think you can read a word over there or a story that, that in any way knocks you or, or, or makes you feel uh, you know, like you're, you're lacking. Every single thing that he says is, is infused with Amuna and how you see Hashem in your life. And it changed, it changed my life. It changes so many people's lives. He's tapping into something that we all have, but we didn't realize that was lying dormant, perhaps, in our hearts. He's able to bring it to the fore if you read his stuff. If you read his Torah, which I do, and I incorporate it into my stories and my lessons, and I even have a, a story too over here in the book uh, about Ramaylech's positivity, I think that's what really talks to us. Because we, let's face the facts, we're living in a generation where we're, we're very soft, and it's very easy for us to break. And we, can't, we can't handle muster anymore. We need the positivity, and it's a little chassidish blend that we're, we're starting to infuse into ourselves. 
And even if you're not Hasidish, we all have that Hasidish of hearts, and that's what he's talking to. And he's opening up a new world of Amuna and Betachin, and how Hashem loves you more than anything in the world, and that's what he's tapped into. I think you're so right, and your books also represent that, where maybe years ago the harsher Musser approach was effective, whereas now, it's not me saying this, greater people than I have said that it's a weaker generation, and the way to reach hearts and souls of all ages is with positivity and uplifting people and reminding people just how much the Rabbani Shalom cares about them, just how much the Rabbani Shalom knows every facet of their lives. And even when things are tough, even when things are challenging, the Rabbani Shalom is orchestrating it all. And that leads me to one final thing that I wanted to ask you about. Okay. In addition to being a fabulous and successful writer, you're also a long time mechanach. You worked with Bachram for many, many years. I'd love for you to talk about that for a moment and also tell us what you found especially in a challenging time when many boys and girls are disillusioned or they go through periods of time where it's, it's complicated and they look out and they see things as convoluted. They don't know how to make sense of their challenges. What have you found to be the secret to reach a youngster's heart, whether they're bar mitzvah age or even a little older as they're trying to find direction in their life? It's a, it's a great question. We have no doubt that we're living in, in very challenging times. It used to seem like life was much simpler for a young kid. You know, you, you go happy go, kid and you're growing up, you go to yeshiva, everything, and life just has a certain way of working out. And we're facing a generation and a time where there's so many problems. There's so much fake news in the world. We don't know what's real and what's fake. And so, like you said, a, a child could get disillusioned. He could lose his way. And with a click of a button, he could be in a different world. And so it's important for us to understand that where they're coming from. It's so important for us to, to realize that these are boys or girls who just need a little love. Just love them, as Rabbi Trank you know, said. They need love. They need warmth. These, these are kids on all levels. You have the best kids in the world, and they're, they're fine kids, and they're learning Torah, and they're, but they still need that chizik. Don't think it's only the kids who are going through the, the struggles. There's all different types of, of children and boys and girls. And what they need most, and most importantly, is a Rebbe to believe in them, a parent to believe in them, to, to, to see their good. We're so busy judging people. And, and that's what, what is, is, is ruining us in a way. If we're judging them, we're just knocking them. We don't understand them. So we have to understand them. We have to love them. But we have to try to lift them up and see the godless that they have to offer. And there's so much that they have to offer. And I try to do that. When I, when I speak to boys, I'm... You know, I, I try to go out there sometimes. I met a, a kid the other night. It was a sad situation. These kids were, were uh, some of them weren't were wearing yarmulkes. And I just was happened to go somewhere. Someone asked me to speak somewhere. And one of these kids came, comes over to me and says, Hey, Rabbi, do you remember me? And I look at him. I said, No. You said, But, but you used to teach me. Remember we used to learn together? I looked at the kid. I'm like, Oh, my. Yeah. I, of course I remember you. I didn't recognize him he looks so much different. He used to look like a yeshiva boy. He was a young boy, and now he's a little older. And Nebuch, you know, he, he hit the streets a little more. And, but the same, the same beauty in that heart was there. And I think what we have to do, we have to be a little more proactive. And we have to reach out. Don't just let it go, hey, let these kids just, you know, whatever happens, happens. Let's care about these children. Let's reach out to them. Let's inspire them. Imagine, you could read this book or other books, and you feel inspired. And you say, you know what? I have it. 
And then you start reaching out. And if we all would reach out to that one child, and we all reach out to that one teen, whoever it was, and give them words of chizik, you could change their life. And when you say reaching out, I mean, let's, let's be practical. Regular people who don't work in Chinuch walk around, they see a youngster. Whoa, whoa, guide guide talk us, Talk to them. them. Open up a little. We're so shy of our own shadow. Let's, let's, let's talk to them. Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? What yeshiva are you going? Oh, you know, maybe I can help you out. Maybe you think of an idea. Talk to them. Show them that they're important to you. And it doesn't matter. You could start a learning seder with someone. You know, perhaps it's someone you could reach out to and, and start learning with them once a week. Or I'm not talking about Kiravi even. I'm just talking about people that you might know, but you don't have a connection. And like I said before, when you have a connection to a Rebbe, like I had a connection to, to Rav David Kviyah, as you mentioned before, Rav Gabriel Finkel, it changed my life. And I wasn't off the derech, I wasn't far away, but it, it improved my life. So that connection that we make, that chizik that we have in our hearts, that, that Torah, that avoid that we have, we could convey in a very easy way, non-confrontational way. Just talk to them, reach out, be nice, and try to lift up every person that you meet in your life. I don't think that's asking too much. You don't have to go into Kirif, but just be a good Yid. Overflow with that love for Ahavet and Ahavet Yisrael, you'll see it could go so far. Rabbi Przanski, we feel that positivity through your books, surely through your speaking. You know, you, you've strengthened our hearts, you've awakened our hearts, you've inspired our hearts, and we wish you continued success. Spreading that message of positivity, messages of faith, messages of inspiration, messages of Durbanu Shalom's love for us, continue doing so through your writing, through your speaking for many, many more years. Thank you so much for having me, Rabbi, Rabbi Hissiger. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you.